we'd like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open, and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. Always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Thank you for tuning into the Future of Health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Thank you for joining us. It's my honor today to chat with another leader from uh, one of the health systems that I hold in high regard nationally, uh, Providence. Uh, Today we welcome Eric Wexler, the Chief Executive Officer of the Southern California region of Providence. Eric, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Luke, to be here and uh, appreciate all you do all the time to keep us posted on healthcare advancements. Well, there's no shortage of information this year, is there? And uh, so that's where I actually wanted to start. Uh, being a native Southern Californian, um, it, particularly Orange County, um, most of the hospitals in Orange County, uh, not most of them, but a lot of them are Providence facilities. And can you just give us an update on how the COVID response is going. We're clearly in a second wave as we tape this in early July. Can you just tell me what you're seeing and hearing from your hospitals across the region? It's quite concerning. And I'm not uh, sure we can even say we're in a second wave. I think we're still in the midst of the first wave, unfortunately, and we have not not allowed ourselves to uh, be compliant enough in our communities and for that matter, across the nation and if we had, perhaps we would have brought the virus down to its you know, lowest potential levels while we wait for vaccination. In, uh, in Southern California, in particular in Orange County, we're seeing a very significant increase in cases. Right now, uh, uh, at this very early point in July, we have more COVID cases in our hospitals than we had back in March. So, uh, you know, the governor and others are beginning to uh, rollback uh, openings. Yeah. So on that note, uh, Eric, um, if somebody has the symptoms of COVID, um, why is it necessary for them to go get tested if they're already uh, using what what we in the healthcare industry call standard precautions and, and now wearing a mask, using their hand gel, washing their hands, um, doing all the things they're supposed to do, cleansing, why is it important if we're already supposed to be doing those things to know if in fact you are positive for COVID? You know, quite simply, uh, there are symptoms that may uh, feel like you have COVID-19 and uh, it would be best to understand if you really have COVID-19 so that you don't uh, relax in any way whatsoever and potentially infect other people around you. I'll give you a good example. Uh, About a month or so ago, my wife, Stephanie, uh, was having a low-grade temperature and uh, some other minor issues that, you know, we thought maybe it was COVID-19, and I immediately, you know, quarantined away from her, uh, and she went and got the test and did not have COVID-19, but had she had the test, uh, you know, we would have been, uh, and she had uh, COVID-19, 
absolutely separated ourselves and kept her quarantined in a part of the house well away from everybody else. So this is not something you take a risk with. Uh, if you have the symptoms, get the test. I've had a few friends that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, have, have tested negative for COVID, but uh, tested positive for antibodies. Are you guys seeing that pop up in your in your hospitals? And if so, is it is it region to region or is it not at all common or is that unusual? We're seeing uh, this across the country and perhaps around the world. Uh, the, the effectiveness of the COVID-19 test is in the high 80s. Uh, and so you would say, wow, you know, a, you know, 10 percent false uh, negative that that doesn't uh, sound like that's a very good result. Uh, the Abbott ID test, which is the most popular and the quickest test, is a couple percentage points different from what you would see in, say, a hospital acute care laboratory. And with all types of tests, there are false negatives and false positives. So every once in a while, it's important for people to go back and get a second test if the symptoms still show. Uh, but look, if you have symptoms and you've had a test, uh, you know, positive or negative, if you're not feeling well, you should stay away from family and friends, stay at home and get well. It, these days, a 14-day quarantine period is really what's most important. You know, Providence is always so community focused. And, and I, you know, as you know, I've been an outspoken critic, critic of hospitals and health systems throughout the country who aren't putting the patients in the community first. Providence has led the way in doing that. I'm very appreciative of that. We saw signs of that right across the street from my house. A testing center was set up in early March. Uh, oh, one of the St. Jude's medical office buildings. Um, as as Providence has partnered with St. Joseph's Health System and Hogue over the last uh, few years, um, how has that partnership come together and how does it continue to evolve? You know, together, almost any uh, group of healthcare institutions are more effective than they are apart. Uh, I'll give you an example. In LA, a consortium of healthcare systems came together, UCLA, USC, uh, Cedars-Sinai, Dignity, Providence, sure. and Memorial. And, and we uh, did some public awareness campaigns on accessing the healthcare system during this COVID-19 crisis for other symptoms and other medical issues that people have because uh, others have put their health at significant risk because they were afraid to access the healthcare system. And in fact, you know, one of the safest places to be is in our hospitals because we're so good at infection control. Sure. Our partnership in Orange County uh, with St. Joseph and St. Jude and Mission and Hogue has allowed us to continue to operate very effectively in reaching all points uh, within the Orange County area to make sure that our community stays healthy, that tests are available, that we've got the ICU beds and you know, all the acute care access points that are necessary. And, um, you know, we're really proud of that. And we feel very, very committed to the work that our institutions do together. You know, I recall when those health systems in Los Angeles County joined together, uh, what, what a lot of folks don't know is traditionally those, those folks, some were not only rivals, but bitter rivals, but they saw the value in coming together. And I know in my discussions with some of your executives through the years um, that you all have done some unique things with leadership to make sure that you act as a system that is responsive to the community. Can you share a little bit of, of how you restructured or, or had uh, CEOs of one facility have responsibilities over the other? Things like that, that when I was first, uh, when 
shared with me by some of your executives. I was excited to say, hey, this is true leadership. This is true community focus. And this is truly, uh, and as a hospital CEO, I was all about my facility doing work. And you guys put some things in place to say, hey, we need to do well as a system that serves our community. Can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, our uh, our executives uh, share uh, sets of responsibility across facilities. We have clinical institutes, for example, in orthopedics and women's services and oncology and in cardiovascular care. And each one of our chief executives have responsibility for one of those clinical institutes with a medical director and a service line leader. And their responsibility is to make sure that the services are coordinated across each of our hospitals. That allows us to make sure that we are truly not just uh, taking best practices and uh, considering those in our institutions, but taking best practices and deploying them in our institutions. We want to make sure that your loved ones, Josh, and my loved ones and the community, that no matter what institution they go to within Providence, that they can get the same level of care with what we believe are the very best outcomes based on research and protocol nationally uh, tested and, um, and practiced. Uh, you know, our, uh, a good example of that is we've got a liver transplant program that is at St. Joseph in Orange. And that transplant program uh, treats patients from not only Orange County, but also LA and San Bernardino, and for that matter, around the entire state. In LA, uh, in the San Fernando Valley, we are beginning to coordinate our open heart surgery and TAVR programs such that patients you know, can access a center of excellence within the valley. And we do the same thing uh, with St. John's and Little Company of Mary uh, in the coastal area of, uh, of uh, Los Angeles. Uh, you know, and, and our work uh, with Hogue has been a really important part of that. And, and uh, we talked about this before we began our, 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 uh, our, our broadcast together. You know, there is discussion out there of Hogue uh, separating from Providence, which, you know, honestly, it breaks my heart. Uh, you know, I believe that Mine there too. has been. Mine yeah, too. Learning. There, there has been an extraordinary amount of work between the institutions over the past eight years to better coordinate services. And uh, Hogue is, a, is an outstanding institution with great leadership and physicians and a wonderful board. And to now come apart, uh, you know, potentially during uh, this uh, national pandemic uh, is, uh, is, is saddening me. Uh, I believe we can do better work together than we can do separately. So, you know, we're not separate yet. And there's still more discussions that will be underway. But my hope is that we will continue to stay affiliated with one another. Yeah, there's no question that phrase better together is is truly in healthcare. It's even more true, particularly in the days of value based care and uh, patient centered care. Um, there's been a lot of talk on the news about uh, PPE shortages, personal protective equipment. Um, can you just tell us uh, how um, Providence is not only dealing with that in the short term, but in the long term to make sure that not only your patients, but your nurses and your doctors are safe as well. Yeah, if there is a lesson learned out of this pandemic, it is that the national stockpile, the strategic national stockpile, the state stockpiles and health system stockpiles need to be more robust than they have ever been. And they need to sure. be carefully monitored for expiration dates. 
the beauty of a large healthcare system, we are the third or fourth largest healthcare system in the United States, is that we have stockpiles that can be deployed to where there are hotspots. So we may not see a lot of COVID cases in Washington or Montana right now. And so we can move PPE to Southern California and vice versa. Uh, the issue that I think we face nationally right now is because this is a worldwide pandemic and in some of the hotspots where manufacturing is done, China being one of them, the access points to PPE are, uh, are a great challenge and worrisome. And it can be as simple as uh, uh, shoe coverings or swabs, uh, but even more seriously, N95 masks. Sure. Now, Providence, as you, as you, you may know, uh, Josh, we uh, put local reprocessing centers at each of our hospitals so that we could take a mask used by a caregiver and then reprocess it up to 10 times as long as the mask was not damaged and continue to give that mask back to that caregiver. So right. innovation is a critical component of making sure we have the PPE supplies that we need. Well, and again, another example of better together, right? If, if it's a hot spot in Southern California as it is now, but it's slowed down one of your other regions, you're able to bring that PPE and, and even outside of the pandemic, other equipment as well. So that's encouraging to hear. I wanted to also um, ask you about um, just the community focus. What What is Providence doing uh, during the pandemic to um, to focus in on the community. You're always so focused on the community. So what have you heard and learned from the community that they were hungry for um, during this pandemic? Well, a couple things that I can think of right off the top of my head, but I'm going to start in LA. Uh, very significant issues uh, with those that are homeless or shelterless in not only living on the streets and being exposed to others that have COVID-19 uh, at a great risk to uh, their lives because they've got other health issues that can accentuate uh, the potential for uh, serious illness and even death. So we uh, worked with uh, the county of LA and made a contribution of a million dollars to set up uh, two, two, two access points for those who are homeless. The first is a shelter which was uh, located adjacent to the Los Angeles, uh, to the LA, uh, to LAX at uh, an RV park that is uh, located there. Um, and we put uh, a, our health van there and clinicians to care for those, for those uh, patients uh, who were shelterless and might have COVID-19. In addition, the funding that we provided set, it, set up uh, access points for hospitals in Los Angeles County uh, if they were surging for us to be able to house patients and care for them in a tented facility. But for the community as a whole, Josh, much of our work centered around creating virtual access points for, uh, for those that live in uh, Southern California. We have a very robust uh, virtual Health Express, uh, excuse me, Express Care uh, access a point that uh, people can get online uh, consultations. The NP, uh, the nurse practitioner, or the physician assistant, and in many cases, uh, access points directly to physicians through Heritage Medical Group or 
Providence Medical Associates or the Doctors of St. John's or Santa Monica Family Physicians allowed us to uh, speak to patients, diagnose them virtually, and then allow us to uh, uh, get pharmaceuticals, if necessary, delivered directly to their house. This kept them safe at home. There was no reason to get in the car and travel anyplace unless absolutely needed. And when they had to, then we uh, sent them to a physician office or to one of our express care centers or to the hospital. That's great. That's great. Thank you for doing that for the community. Uh, so at one point there was discussion. In fact, I was um, working with some local officials about setting up the convention center in Los Angeles as an overflow facility, not quite a nursing home, not quite a hospital, somewhere in between with my nursing home background and hospital CEO background. I gave them some input and then I know it was all set up, but we never heard of any patients going there. So A, did any patients ever go there? And B, is it still ready in case there is a second wave or a, a more growth in what you referred to as the first wave? Yeah, these centers were not uh, widely used because hospitals were asked to bring down uh, their capacity or utilization for uh, non-COVID cases. And I want to speak about that uh, in a moment. Uh, because I want to speak more about the implications of that, because we brought down that volume of other cases and care, we were able to really accommodate uh, all the needs of our communities without having to really access the surge uh, facilities. And uh, with the potential surge we're in now in this, what I still think is the first wave, uh, we may need those uh, in the future, but no, they were not widely used. My concern about the request to bring down what we were terming elective surgeries, which I think is a uh, widely uh, misused industry, healthcare services industry term. Sure. Uh, you know, elective surgeries uh, are not always elective. They're maybe outpatient surgeries, and we're interchanging elective and outpatient. Uh, a little too loosely, Agreed. So, sure. when, right, Josh? When we pulled that yeah. down, there were patients that uh, may have had uh, cancer uh, and needed a uh, a tumor removal that uh, didn't happen and should have happened uh, across the United States and in, in many of our hospitals. That can't happen anymore. We put lives at risk in other ways, and we 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 worried people about going to our hospitals. And so I know of a case where a, a, a lady was uh, experiencing uh, symptoms of stroke and thought she could tough it out at home. And by the time she got to our emergency department in one of our hospitals, uh, it was too late to administer the type of pharmaceuticals that could have prevented long-term damage. And now she is permanently paralyzed. It's uh, awful. That's awful. Yeah, the term elective is uh, definitely a tricky one, particularly in the time of this pandemic. I want to go back to the PPE discussion. One of the things I learned during the pandemic is I had uh, both Facebook and LinkedIn social media followers. Many of you know I have a pretty robust social media following. We're reaching out for things far beyond my expertise because uh, as healthcare executives, we do have such a deep knowledge and education in infection control, and it's always been entrenched in us. And there were so many questions out there that I stepped back and for my not-for-profit, I went, uh, set a goal to figure out how to provide PPE to families uh, uh, through the mail uh, on, on an annual basis. Uh, I think we're going to end up doing it every other month. 
Um, but for those of you who um, who are listening, who are looking for a not-for-profit who's partnering with an organization, as you mentioned, that really created was created to provide PPE to healthcare facilities, I was able to get them to create a box that they can send directly to your home. Uh, sometime in the month of July, the website will be familyreadypack.org, familyreadypack.org, and it's a not-for-profit entity. It's going to send masks. It's going to send hand gel. It's going to send all the things that uh, that families have been looking for, particularly as school starts up in the fall. If you're interested, um, that is something that we're hoping to bring to individuals. And at that same site, we can refer you if you're a business looking for bigger packages. So I wanted to make sure we mentioned that. I just wanted to, um, in the last couple of questions, Eric, ask about um, just racial equality and the commitment that Providence has made. I've always seen Providence active uh, in the equality space. Uh, but with what's been going on in 2020 uh, with Black Lives Matter and the other racial equality movements and the protests, particularly in some of your stronghold regions um, like Seattle, can you speak a little bit to um, the position and the commitments of Providence in terms of racial equality? Absolutely. Uh, and I'll just start by admitting uh, I, I uh, have over the years observed discrimination and violence. But I, I have to admit that I don't think that I knew enough about what was happening out there. And I feel um, I feel a little stupid uh, and uh, angry with myself. What it has done, though, is for me and other leaders within Providence, uh, it has motivated us more than ever for change. As uh, the Blue Shield commercial uh, that maybe you have seen uh, that I have many times on TV lately, yeah. enough is enough. Yeah. Violence and discrimination must stop. And Providence is going to take a leadership role in making sure we affect change. Now, some of that will be through health disparity work. And Dr. Rhonda Meadows, who is executive vice president and responsible for population health across that across Providence has put together a multidisciplinary team that will take specific actions to create access points and reduce health disparities so people can leave good live good healthy lives. In Southern California, I told my caregivers we have thirty five thousand caregivers, and I spoke to uh, to racial inequality and discrimination and this violence. Uh, against black lives and how we're going to take action to eradicate that. And what I didn't want to do was just immediately put together a task force uh, for a show. Uh, we are taking our time and listening to those around us that we need to learn from. We are exploring best practices. And I suspect in another 30, uh, maybe 60 days at the most, uh, but I hope less, we will have a task force in place that will take specific action. Some of that will be how we advance uh, people in in minority uh, in in minority positions to be in leadership roles in our organization. How we a hundred percent ensure that compensation is fair and equal across our organization, and how we make sure in Providence and in our communities that discrimination is stopped and the violence is ended once and for all. I am so happy to hear you share that on a personal level, Eric, as well as the position of Providence. I myself 
uh, in uh, May and June have gone through this transformation of somebody who stepped back uh, and said, what, what have I missed and how have I missed this? And um, if you haven't had the chance, I did an interview with my high school basketball teammate who's African-American, but was adopted at two weeks old by a white family raised by the white parents and then went away to college and learned more about his um, his culture, his tradition, and now is an African-American history teacher in Northern California. And he and I had a one hour candid on air conversation that went viral. And he shared so many stories, as you said, that things that I would have never thought of. He tells me he gets pulled over 40 times a year. So I haven't been pulled over 40 times in, in 10 years. And he shared so many stories about things that have happened in front of his children. And um, I'm actually working with him to start a movement similar to what you're doing, because uh, I said his name's Jerome Fassione Sr. Um, you can actually watch that episode at Spend Less, Live Well on YouTube or on podcast channels. We did a second part because the first part went viral. But what I shared with him is, Jerome, Caucasians are, are, are listening now. Um, and we need to create a platform that connects with Caucasians who are committed to racial equality because we have been prohibitive as you took responsibility. I'm taking responsibility. I'm just really encouraged that Providence has gone through that same transformation that myself and so many others have over the last few months. It's, it's really, really impressive. Uh, and as we wrap up, Eric, is there anything else you wanted to share? I mean, you've, you've shared so many examples of how you're committed to the community, how you uh, are responsive to the community, and how you are going above and beyond in your mission to, to be a healthcare provider in a, in a system, one of the largest in the country. Is there anything else you can share with those that are watching or listening that you really want them to know about Providence and what your priorities and commitments are? I, I would. And, and this may be as much about Providence as it is about uh, healthcare in the future. Uh, we have learned through COVID-19 a very difficult time uh, where people are maybe right now at uh, maybe their unhappiest uh, time in life, uh, having uh, been stuck at home, people losing jobs, not feeling well, uh, the reality of some of the uh, very disappointing uh, learnings we've had across our country and how we treat people. I would say we've got to move forward in a way, uh, not only in our communities and in the dis discussion we had about discrimination, but also in how we treat one another and how we take advantage of the learnings of COVID-19. And so let me go uh, to the healthcare learnings that I would like our community to embrace. Uh, we have had hundreds of thousands of virtual visits either uh, to uh, help people understand whether they have symptoms of COVID-19 or for people to have a physical uh, or to uh, explore other medical issues. Embrace the virtual technology. Uh, find a way to use it uh, with your physician or your healthcare provider so that we can ease your way. And Providence as uh, a large healthcare system is one of the most advanced in using, using virtual technology uh, for our patients in the community. And I would encourage uh, others to test it. Uh, try Express Care Virtual. Try your other healthcare providers' virtual networks sure. and use that as a way to keep your sa yourself safe, safe and healthy during these crises. 
And folks, if you're interested in more tips like Eric just shared, uh, our not-for-profit has a website called spendlessonhealthcare.org. And some of the um, ideas it shares are just what Eric shared. If you've never done a virtual physician visit, which which uh, got rapid adaptation during the pandemic because doctors were like, hey, I can't see you until you I see you virtually, uh, it will change your life for the better. It will give you back three or four hours a day if you're not feeling well. It gives you direct access within minutes sometimes to physicians. And at spendlessonhealthcare.org, we have all the tips like that. There's one organization that I think for 25 bucks a month, your whole family can have immediate access to doctors 24-7, even psychiatrists. And it comes with discount pharmacy. There's so much out there. And I, have, I love that, that Eric and Providence are promoting value-based patient-centered care. Um, really exciting time for those of us that have been championing uh, uh, value-based care like Eric and I for so many years. I'm, I'm just so pleased uh, for to watch all the things that Providence is doing. Eric, thank you so much um, for your time, for taking a break during um, this pandemic, the, 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 the second half of the first wave um, uh, of the pandemic. Uh, hopefully, we will continue to see progress on um, on just the community working together um, to to really relieve some of the pressures being put on your health system. So thank you so much for all that you and your team are doing. Thank you, Dr. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate uh, this opportunity. Have a all great day. Stay, stay well and stay strong. Likewise. Great, great to talk to you. Always great to talk to you. And thanks again for everything that Providence is doing.